Welcome everyone to the seventh episode of season two of the Northern Spin podcast. My name's Michael Taylor. I'm the editor of Business Desk in the Northwest, and this is Northern Spin. Chris. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. See, normally you say, and this is Chris, the banter king of cheeky chappiness from Chorley, the executive editor of Business Cloud. You've just thrown me there. You've thrown me. But I had enough of your banter last week. So <laughs> I, uh, okay. You've, yeah. wa- you've worn me down. Well, listen, we've, right. we've, we've had a kiss and we've had a makeup as well. Now, I want to sound the klaxon. If I had a klaxon, if we had any sound effects, I would sound it because we've got big news this week. We have a second sponsor. More about them later. I can't wait to find out more. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that. But as ever, what media produce this podcast, they do a great job for us. And it's really sad news. It's Sam Pitson, our producer, is leaving to go and work for the RHS. That's uh, the Royal Horticultural Society based at, Raw, at Bridgewater. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm making, a bit... Making films for them. Making well, films about gardens. That's a dream job, that, isn't it? I mean, we are lucky because what media are a fantastic company with a, a hugely talented team, much like Manchester United at the moment as well. But if I do get emotional and my voice does start to crack as I look across and see the tasseled hair of Sam Picton, you know, resting on his shoulders, you'll know why. Um, I want to thank what media, of course, but I also want to thank uh, Oscar Technology, our first sponsors. Um, I don't know if you've ever fancied becoming an Oscar Wildcat, have you? No. What's no. that? Well, an Oscar Wildcat is, is Oscar call their staff Wildcats. And last week they held their Oscars Global Vision Conference. It took place um, in Manchester, at Impossible Manchester. I, I thought that was a misprint until I realised I'd never actually been there. It is called Impossible Manchester. CEO and fellow Marple residents, or a friend of yours, Andy Morell, friend of the podcast, kickstarted the event, uh, which joined together Oscar Wildcats from all their EU bases and their bases, their burgeoning base in the US as well, joined on a live stream, as well as discussing their record-breaking 2022. They shared their vision for 2023, looking to expand their team, looking to expand their operation across the world as well. If you want to join Oscar, the voice of technology, and want to become a Wildcat, check them out on LinkedIn. There's a lot of good things happening at Oscar. So we're doing recruitment for a recruitment company. That's brilliant. Absolutely. That's proper multitasking. So, Chris, tell us who our new sponsor is. I'm um, re- really pleased and you've done a good job here. No, it's, it's another recruitment type company. Uh, I don't want to say too much at the moment because I will we'll do a chat about them in part two. But uh, Lily Shippen is the name in the frame that you need to remember. Fantastic. So what are we discussing in today's podcast? This week's podcast, in fact. Well, it's a smorgasbord of news. Um, is the M6 the UK's worst motorway? Now, I've, we've had a big editorial chat about that. You've told me I'm not allowed to rant. Um, is the M6 the world's worst motorway? I think it is, not just the UK's. The TWAT effect. Now, we don't swear on this podcast, and it is an abbreviation. It's not what you think, but Michael wants to talk about the TWAT effect. I hope I spelled it right. Who's funding our politics? Big, big question. Lots of uh, nice feedback about our section last week entitled Who's on Manoeuvres? So we'll be doing that again and we'll also be looking at some national news. Okay, so Chris, um, I know you want to talk about free ports, but before our listeners turn off, you've also promised a story of real political intrigue, intrigue, allegations and vehement denials of wrongdoing and a lot more besides. You better explain first, though, what a free port is. When we started this podcast, we want to talk about things that are really relevant, not just do clickbait podcasts. We don't do that. Um, and this is a really interesting subject as well. It's got all the ingredients that you mentioned there. So Liz Trust, remember her, after her disastrous 44 days in office, her idea for investment zones disappeared as quickly as she did. Um, most people would agree with that. The idea of free ports have been around a lot longer. They've actually been around and then they were disbanded and now they're back on the agenda. And they're essentially economic zones designed to stimulate economic activity like trade, investment and jobs, especially near shipping ports and also some airports as well. Now, there are certain tax exemptions to goods being imported into free ports and that makes it very appealing to companies and also very appealing to investors. Well, it's quite topical because, as you know, I've just started a new job in the last um, month or two as the Northwest Editor of Business Desk. And we reported last week that Liverpool, their free port, which they've had for a long time, yeah. um, that's been uh, given free port status under the government's new legislation along with East Anglia. And of course, Rishi Sunak was up in Scotland getting a proper kicking from the yeah. Scottish media last week yeah. when he was launching launching one on the northeast coast. But it's a big feather in the cap, isn't it, for, for Merseyside, for Liverpool to yeah. have got one. And, and Liverpool City Region's Metro Mayor, Steve Rotherham's properly um, properly seizing the opportunity and using it as an opportunity as a chance to boost Liverpool's status as somewhere to do business. I'm glad you mentioned Steve Rotherham because 
Obviously, Andy Burnham gets a, a disproportionate amount of attention, but Steve Rotham's doing a really good job in Liverpool, I think. Um, I listened to an interview he gave where he spoke about Freeports, and he said that people associate a Freeport with Liverpool from, you know, for years and years and years. Actually, this is a, this is a new concept, if you like. It just uses the same name. He said the actual Freeport for Liverpool, it, it stretches 45 kilometres in size. It stretches from the port of Liverpool to the port of Salford. Um, and, 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 and he was just saying it's so much more than what you assume it is, because um, people think it's like... Or you go behind this fence and that's a Freeport. So it's it's much more nebulous than that. What I want to talk about is actually the one in Teesside, the Freeport Ooh. in Teesside. Absolutely, your friend, um, the uh, the free the Teesside mayor Ben Houchin. It's his brainchild. Um, need to give a bit of background. So during last week's PMQs. Alex Cunningham, who's the Labour MP for Stockton North, stood up, threw an absolute political grenade into the mix. He knew what he was doing. Um, but because of something called parliamentary privilege, MPs have legal immunity, so they can't be sued for things they say in the House of Commons, which is the reason a lot of MPs drop these hand grenades in, because they know they can't be sued. If they said it outside of Parliament, it could be deemed as defamatory. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail, I'll get too technical, um, but he called for an inquiry, asked Risha Sunak for an inquiry, claiming taxpayers are, quote, set to lose tens of millions of pounds because valuable assets have been transferred to businessmen without a full and transparent procurement process. His words, not mine. Now, this all relates to the news that a group of private developers took a 90% stake in the company which was set up to deliver Teesworks Freeport project. I hope, Michael, you and our listeners are still with me. Yeah, I am. I think it's an interesting one because it's private. I have been reporting a lot on this, which is a, a fortnightly scurrilous newspaper magazine which i uh, which i always really enjoy I've, I've i've been i've been buying private eye since i was a teenager it's absolutely fabulous great investigative stories lots of funny quips as well all the way through it but um satire but they do some really really decent investigative stuff as well and i've got i've got this here for the benefit of you know the people who who actually watch us on youtube as well and it's absolutely right um ben houchen who's the metro mayor for tees valley who's, I think, carved himself a bit of a niche as the kind of the alternative, the, the anti-Andy Burnham in yeah. many ways, as the, the kind of the Tory version of what a, a Metro mayor can be. He's a bit of an outlier in that regard because most of them in the North, of course, in fact, nearly all of them except him, are, are Labour mayors. But Teesworks is the UK's largest free port and Houchin has predicted it will create more than 3,000 direct jobs. And the Tories have come out absolutely fine, haven't they, Chris? Yeah, if I mention a Tory now who's been on manoeuvres this week, who do you think it might be? Simon Clark. Simon Clark. Every answer, Simon Clark. So two neighbouring Conservative MPs, Jacob Young and the ever so busy Simon Clark, have uh, lodged a complaint with the Speaker, Sir Lindsay Hoyle. I mean, that's just a protest. It's going it's to go nowhere. But Jacob Young tweeted, if Alex Cunningham is so certain of the claims, he should repeat them outside the House of Commons chamber. He won't because he knows they're not true and they are defamatory. Instead, he's hiding behind parliamentary privilege. Simon Clark has accused Labour of wanting to drag Teesworks through the mud, while Mr Houchin has categorically rejected any wrongdoing and insisted the whole process has been transparent. And what's, what's your view on the bigger picture here? Because there's more at play than we're seeing. Yeah, it's a complex web of conflicts, uh, conflicts of interest, deals done in secret. I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's a doubt. Um, but you can't read any of the coverage of this, either in private eye or in regional newspapers like the Gazette up there in, uh, in Teesside, and think that Ben Houchin isn't kind of up to something because it, it just doesn't feel right. Even if he has got nothing to hide, as he absolutely claims, he's behaving as if he has. And that's before even <laughs> before we even start discussing crabs. You're and, asking me about crabs again? Yes. Um, ben Houchin will, of course, deny any wrongdoing. And he'll also say that the whole process is transparent. The reason you mentioned crabs, Roy, is because when Mr Cunningham, Alex Cunningham, stood up in Parliament last week and asked for an inquiry, he also repeated calls for a thorough investigation into the death of loads of crabs and crustaceans along the northeast coast. Incidentally, this podcast, Northern Spin, is not uh, diminishing, um, you know, the, the, the level of devastation. Yeah, just, just among... let me briefly just sum up what's happened. So th there has to be dredging, right, yeah. of a former industrial site where all sorts of stuff's been dumped into the sea. While, while um, and, and, of course, chemicals is a big industry yeah. up there in the northeast. So there's all sorts of stuff on the seabed. The allegation is that the dredging of the docks has thrown up all sorts of... Um, nasties into the sea and that has in turn as the tide's gone out killed loads of sea creatures and they've been washing up on on beaches all the way down to scarborough and 
and marine biologists have said this this isn't as a result of algae which is what ben houchen's excuse for it is he's also tried to claim that this stuff started happening before dredging started which i think is which i think is open to some debate and i think it's quite right that alex cunningham as an mp for that part of the world should quite rightly ask for an inquiry i mean uh, ben houchen on twitter said apparently pointing out that time travel isn't possible and that work at the Freeport didn't start until 11 months after the die-off occurred is a smear. So it is a real whodunit. Um, and I think a lot of people are watching this as well because because the Conservatives look to Ben Houchin as the voice of the North of the Red Wall seats, don't they? Yeah, they do. He's a real darling of the Conservative Party in the Red Wall seats. Uh, I think you've got a theory about him that he might end up in the House of Lords at some point if Labour win the next general election. I think there's some merit in that. I can see that happening. But that would probably rule him out from being a future leader of the Conservative Party, which I think might well be in his sights. What do you think? Well, I spoke to a couple of people up there, very influential, and I asked them what they thought of Ben Houchin. And the view was he's very, very passionate about the area. He tries to sell a much more positive story of Teesside. He looks very much to the future of Teesside rather than the past because it has gone through a period of... Um, you know, uh, troubles. It has been. It has been troubled. Um, I'm also told that he uh, he's probably too invested in the airport. Uh, he's not really a details man because that's um, the Tees Valley Combined Authority invested in Teesside Airport, didn't they? He does a lot, and, of and, and they promised a direct flight to London, which hasn't happened. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff on social media about the airport as well, and and, and we've spoken about other airports regionally in the north as well. Is there a market for it? He argues that there is. So, so some people think he's too t closely attached to that. He's not really a details man. He does other governments here. He posted on LinkedIn last week pictures of him with Jeremy Hunt as well. Um, and, and like you just mentioned there as well, he's, he's, he's tipped to get a peerage, tipped to go into the House of Lords. I don't think he'll go in at the moment, but if the Conservatives were to lose the next general election, I think he very well could. Um, okay. Now, Michael, you've, uh, you've, you've spoken about Freeports, which I asked, something you want to talk about, which is an issue that affects everybody and we're both interested in, is how our MPs are funded. And you've done some stuff last week at Business Desk. Yeah, we did. We did a great story last week on Business Desk about IX Wireless, a business registered on a business park in Blackburn that can be traced back through all the various companies that are associated with it and that own a controlling interest in it to be controlled ultimately by Lord James Wharton, a former Tory MP for Stockton South, and as well as putting up hideous foam masts in suburban streets, they've paid £138,000 to 25 Tory MPs in northern Redwall seats. Now, this was a real bringing together of my worlds because in, in my job working um, for the Labour group on Stockport Council, one of our councillors, David Meller, kicked up a proper stink about a wireless, be, a wireless mast being installed on, a, on an estate in his ward in Cheadle Hume North, with no protest from Mary Robinson, the Conservative MP for Cheadle. And as it turns out from looking at the looking into this, she's received um, she's received donations from IX Wireless, the, the firm behind those masts. Anyway, the reason I was able to do this and delve into it and find out who which MPs have been in receipt of donations from IX Wireless was because of this new tool that's been created by Sky News and Tortoise Media, a fantastic media startup of which I'm a member, subscriber to, whatever. And it all really then starts to, to link together what it is, how it is that MPs are funded. I mean, most of us just think MPs get a salary from, 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 the, from the parliamentary estate, that they, they run their offices, but it's much more, much more shady than that. And the amounts of money going into MPs' offices and where the money comes from, what they go to fund. Um, you have to put FOI requests in in some instances to find out you know, whether, whether different organisations would, would, would fund MPs. But this, this tool that Tortoise and Sky have produced is fantastic. It's a, real, it's a, it's a godsend for journalists. Yeah, I mean, we're both journalists fundamentally. So, so we'll suggest things for, to discuss on Northern Spin, but we'll, you know, checks and balances on both sides. I, I just did a quick look at Company's House. James Wharton, not listed as a director of IX at Company's House, although the Northern Echo report is a director of a company called Coberher um, Communications, which yeah, holds a we, controlling we, we, stake. We reported that as well. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, the whole, the whole operation, it appears to be controlled from Dubai by a, an entrepreneur called Tahir Mosan, who was from Blackburn. And he set up a, a PC distribution business and manufacturer called Time Computers. Remember them? I do remember them. Yeah, yeah. And the, old the, enough. And their advertising was by Leonard Nimoy. 
Yeah. He used to do TV ads with Mr. Spock from yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> and they sponsored Blackburn Rovers in two of our most successful seasons of recent years. But moving swiftly on, not not just want to talk about Blackburn Rovers' yeah. good times. Yeah. Uh, um, but, it, but it's more than that, though, Chris. It's actually how our politics is funded and what sort of uh, organisations are funding it. And quite rightly, for the interest of balance, you've thrown into it that, uh, that there's some companies that are exactly transparent who are funding Labour MPs as well, yeah. as I did in the, the coverage on Business Desk. Yeah, it's just, there's something to mention about James Wharton, is that James Wharton, was, 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 uh, he was the campaign manager for Boris Johnson um, to uh, successfully challenge Theresa May to become the next leader of the uh, Conservatives and the next uh, Prime Minister. He then became a peer at the age of 36. You know, so what I'm saying, that doesn't, that doesn't smell right. I don't like that. You know, I don't like people becoming peers at the age of 36 because they help somebody become the leader of the uh, Conservatives and the Prime Minister. Um, this isn't about party politics. I mean, obviously, we are coming from slightly different sides. Um, but, but I read that report in Sky News, and uh, there's a company called MPM Connect. They've made significant payments to three high-profile Labour MPs, Yvette Cooper, Dan Jarvis, and West Streeting. I read Dan Jarvis today, and he said, look, he said, that money came in perfectly, you know, perfectly legitimate. You know, it was very, it was very transparent. It helps them do their job better, you know, pay staff, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all we need is absolute transparency. And the one thing I would say, and this is something that nobody will give them any credit for, is that it just highlights the role of journalism. Yeah, you know, because because you mentioned Private Eye, you know, Private Eye is so well researched, and what Tortoise uh, Media are doing is great as well. It was set up actually by James Harding, James Harding, who was the former editor of the Times and editor of BBC News at one point. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So they they do loads of really good events as well, and they've got a, a very interesting format called it's like a, like a news conference where it's called a, a think in. So you don't turn up and get on your soapbox and say your point, and you. And you don't ask questions. You kind of contribute, and like like you would at a news conference, like you would at, a, you know, like when we were been editors. It's just a different way of thinking, though, isn't it? Yeah, and they sponsored this festival that Rachel and I went to last year called Kite Festival in Oxfordshire, which was just brilliant. They had loads of really good, sort of thoughtful, literary and uh, political events during the day, in, in, including seeing Andrew Neil and Rory Stewart in an interview setting. And then loads of music at night, which of course you wouldn't be particularly interested <laughs> in, but because uh, I don't think Roy Orbison tribute bands were, were there. I got some big stick actually. I got some big stick for my musical collection on Spotify recently. But hey, let's talk about national politics now. Um, normally we start with national politics. I re think it was a relatively quiet week. You know, in summary, Rishi Sunak's been accused of hypocrisy after it emerged he took an RAF jet from London to Leeds. He also confirmed he's registered with N um, NHS surgery, um, but has paid for private treatment in the past. We spoke about that on last week's podcast. Uh, doctor surgeries aren't in the NHS. They're private. Your GP accesses yeah. NHS services for you, but he's, he's actually showing how out of touch he is by claiming that he's registered with an NHS GP because that's not how, it's not how it works. But whatever. And whatever, whatever. Yeah. Keir Starmer, who was all over the news at the weekend, accused him of going from clapping nurses to sacking nurses over the anti-strike yeah. laws, which will go, will be discussed this week in, um, you know, in Parliament together with the online safety law as well. That's going to be interesting. Do you think any of these blows in the last week have landed on the Conservatives and uh, Rishi Sunak's chin? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's all baked in. The core kind of thing that people think about a politician, which, you know, they want to have one thing that people think about them. Unfortunately for Rishi Sunak, it's that... He's a bit of a tough and he's out of touch with real people's lives. And every action that he does seems to just bake that in a little bit more. I saw an interview that he did with Scottish television. You know, he was trying to go up there to big up Freeports. Yeah. And he ended up getting himself all tied up in knots. He looks so uncomfortable just repeating these sound bites again and again. He's just not normal and relatable. I think that's that, that's one of the key problems with him. Um, there was also that set to over the Christmas period in a homeless hostel where again, he just looked out of touch, leaden, wooden, like an elite leader who can't relate to ordinary people. Can I just say something there? Yeah. That there is inbuilt hostility, understandably, among some people to everything that he does. So if he goes to a homeless hostel, if he sells big issues, if he gives money to charity, mm -hmm. and he's seen putting a, you know, a big bundle of £50 notes in because he can afford it, people say, look at him, he's got loads of money, etc., etc. He doesn't need to be Prime Minister. He can afford not to be. He chooses to be. And it's a great honour. You know, all I'm saying is there is some inbuilt hostility to everything that he does. I think he is a wooden you know, presenter, but I also think he's an honourable guy. 
compared to Boris Johnson. Well, that's not how. Not no. exactly a low no. bar, is it? No, I think uh, I think there's yeah there's there's something in that, but the out of touch thing, you know, there, there are a number of things that better, more skilled politicians could have dealt with that issue with the homeless guy in in a hostel at St Mung St Mungo's it was in, in London during the Christmas period where they ended up having a chat about going to work at Goldman Sachs. And I just thought other politicians could have said, listen, are you getting the help? He could have said, are you getting the help you need? You know, can we get, can we try and find you some support to help you get a job, do what you do? It must be dreadful living as, as, as you're having to do and coming here. He didn't come across as empathetic is my point. And he keep, his behaviours keep on, as I said, cement this, bake it in, whatever metaphor you want to use. I think that's a fair point. I mean, we've spoken before about Liz Truss not being empathetic. I don't think he's empathetic, but it's a different type of yeah. a gap. And the, the, the canny thing that Labour are doing as well at the moment, if you watch PMQs, Rachel Reeves, when, when, when she, she does a set to, or Keir Starmer, or any of the people who the public will see saying things about the Tories, they're not, they're not playing the Rishi Sunak tough card but you see people like Cat Smith the uh, Labour MP for Lancaster at PMQs last week asking questions that really highlighted Sunak's kind of lack of connectivity with with ordinary people but for me Chris the the most disturbing story that I read last week was in the right-wing magazine The Spectator where the you know they're talking about political strategy so you know fair enough but you know the Tories want to set a trap for Labour on the vote winning issue of small boat crossings and that really worries me because what's the, net, the the logical extension of that is continuing to dehumanise, to vilify people who are trying to to get across in small boats to this country, and you know they're the ones who are going to be perishing at sea. They're the ones who, who are going to be kids floating in the in the channel, and yet the Tories think it's a vote winner to you know to to double down on what. Um, Swella Braverman is saying that, that you know this is a swamp or a horde and and it, it leaves a very nasty taste in my mouth because what's the next thing sending the RAF in to bomb them because that'll be a vote winner if if you follow that logic to its natural conclusion sometimes you've got to actually go against what you know raw public sentiment is it goes back to the whole you know policy with, with um, Rwanda as well yeah exactly you know, it appeals to the right of the party yeah what did you think of Starmer on the Laura Koonsberg show at the weekend I thought he was Assured, confident. Again, I, I talked to my focus group of one, core Conservative voters who are unhappy with Boris Johnson, my mum. Yeah. And she says, your man Starmer did well on Laura Coonsberg this morning, which is good enough for me. Um, but I agreed with what my old mate Anna Subri said. It summed it up exactly what I thought, actually, and, and what I said at the time. First-rate Starmer faced proper tough questions. Too many questions on gender ID and nothing on the economy and climate change, which I agree with. Don't agree with Starmer on Brexit, which isn't working and is bad for Britain, but he has a vision for a better UK. He's competent and decent, just what we need. And that's a former Conservative MP saying that. I listened to two or three podcasts, which included snippets of what he said. Yeah. Um, so, you know, full disclosure, didn't watch his whole performance. I was driving down. You're right. I did, so you don't have to. Okay. But what I would say is, is that, and I listened to some of the questions he was asked, very, very challenging. I mean, he was asked about the whole Scotland issue and... On uh, gender ID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, that went on for quite a long time as well. They are trying to catch him out, but, you know, people would argue that's the job of people like Laura Koonsberg. Yeah, in bring fairness, it on. In bring fairness it on, to him. And, and, and to be fair, he, he absolutely leaned in and answered all of those questions. That's where I give him credit for. He didn't try and duck a question. Um, he didn't. I, uh, Annalise Dodd, I listened to her this morning, and she she still, I think, avoids certain questions in terms of they keep talking about strikes, but how much would you pay him? How much would you pay him? They've clearly got a policy here. We can't say how much we're going to pay him until we see all the books. It's all about negotiation. But what I give him credit for is he, he comes across as much more affable. He comes across quite a likeable guy, but he comes across as somebody you can see as a prime minister. Uh, give him credit for that. All right, Chris, so did you do the homework that I set you? I said, read up on the good chap theory yeah. of British politics and yeah. British history, which Peter Hennessy, one of the most respected historians of our generation, has, has espoused, which, as one of my own sons pointed out, who listened, not, not only listens to the podcast, but watches it on YouTube, <laughs> and he said, it's not even politics 101, it's a-level politics studies, and you got all tetchy and thought I was calling you a toff, which I wasn't. 
No, absolutely. Um, it was a bit like being at school, though, because you sent me a message, Chris, here's your homework. So I did read it. I did read it. Admittedly, I read it last night when you asked me for the second time, like a father, if I'd done my homework. Yeah. Um, and did you? Yeah, uh, yes, I did read it. Yeah, I did read it. And actually, I wouldn't say I was tetchy last week, and I did mischievously, tongue-in-cheek, point out the fact that you live in a, you know, a huge, sprawling mansion in Marple. Which, no, which, which we you don't. don't. Which you don't. Which we which don't. don't. Just, before, just before Mrs. Taylor gets in touch, that was just me being mischievous. Um, you, you don't. And I'm inaccurate. Not, I'm not going to go the other way and say you live in an ordinary house, because you don't, you know, because that would, I, I don't cause offence that way Move well. on. Move on. Now. Stop digging. I did the homework you set me. The article you mentioned, dated 2021, uh, very pertinent at the time because obviously Boris Johnson was a prime minister, and and it, it it's true in a sense that you know he's a good chap. So because he's a good chap, you think he must be a good person. Not true. You can be a bad chap. The interesting thing is how many MPs are willing to overlook people's indiscretions because they get them into Parliament and they win next general elections as well. Um, I do agree with that. Would you vote for somebody who you knew was a bad chap? Me personally. Absolutely, I wouldn't. That's why I was very, very open and very forward in my absolute criticism of Boris Johnson. If he told me he's got the he's got the morals of an alley cat, if he told me it was raining, I would check. I just don't believe a word he says. But a lot of politicians, at least a hundred, were willing to take him back when he when he was rumoured to be standing after uh, Liz Truss resigned. So uh, yeah, I did read the piece. I think too many people are willing to overlook the misdemeanours of our leaders. Um, and, and that just becomes a race to the bottom, and that's not good for, uh, for anyone. Absolutely. So should we go to a break and then um, come back with more discussion about our local and national politics? Absolutely. So welcome back to Northern Spin, and I'm delighted to say, Michael, we have a second sponsor. Now... You hold a high-powered job at Northwest. Well, you did at Northwest Business Insider um, for uh, for over a decade. You're now the editor of Business Desk. You've interviewed thousands of CEOs and MDs in your time. In your experience, how important is a personal assistant or an executive assistant? Well, I'm not lying, Chris, when I say that many of our chief execs and MDs across the Northwest that I speak to couldn't function without their uh, personal assistant or executive assistant. I'm not talking out of turn, but loads of business leaders that I know really, really um, use their PAs as a sounding board and a huge part of their success. So it's same in the university sector as well. I couldn't agree with you more, Michael. Lily Shippen is a specialist recruitment agency for HR and business support staff. Bases in Manchester and London, Lily Shippen recruit a range of roles, including EAs, PAs, office managers, receptionists, HR business partners, and many more. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they are experts in placing exceptional people with exceptional businesses. They don't just know how to recruit HR and business support staff, but they know when to recruit, and that's critical. So if you're an MD or a CEO or a business leader in the north or anywhere else remember the name lily shippen now michael as you know i don't like swearing so we are approaching this with caution but you want to talk about an acronym to describe people who only come to the office on tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays tell us more without offending our older audience okay well offending anybody so it's TWATs are an increasingly common phenomena post-pandemic. It's people who work on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays in the office, but they work from home on Monday and mm. presumably go hiking up mountains with fresh walks on Friday or play golf or whatever, or work from home on Fridays. But joking aside, what it's meant is that it's hollowing out our city centres. So there's a report in the um, Yorkshire Post last week about Leeds in particular, that it's becoming a three-day-a-week city. Um, on the other hand, though, the suburbs where people work from home are seeing a moderate boom in coffee shops and shared working spaces because there are more people using their local amenities, popping in for a, a skinny latte when they take the dog for a walk in between Zoom calls. But, uh, you know, this is one of the accelerated trends that's happening. I think... Um, the way that our local politicians are thinking about where they place commercial spaces, housing space, industrial units, it's all being thrown into the blender. And how we live and work is, is changing really quite radically and, and how we think about the future. So I think it has some genuine political um, implications. What do you think? Well, I think the piece you mentioned about, um, you know, Leeds is spot on, actually. I mean, it's significant. Their, their own analysis says the footfall is down 26% at the start of the week. I mean, I 
driving to Manchester for this podcast. I left home today at uh, half past six. It was rammed on the bottom of the M61. Coming into Manchester was busy and walking across town today was busy as well. So I, I, I've, seen, I've seen it for a long time, even before COVID, where we were seeing a four-day cycle where a lot of people were working at home on a Friday. Um, I, I don't know if it's happening now in terms of the Monday as well. I think after Christmas, it seems to have got a bit busier in terms of um, workers coming into uh, into cities. Um, a lot of companies have introduced four-day weeks, and um, during the pandemic, um, there were question marks raised over the future of offices. Companies have recognised, I think, that offices... Rather than being a place that people actually work, they collaborate, they become collaboration spaces. So the chap called Will Lewis at OBI, they've been in Manchester for over a decade now. He does a lot of work, a lot of analysis on this. And he reckons the pandemic brought about a decade of change in the commercial property sector in just under two years as well. I can, uh, like I say, I can only speak about my experiences, but I did, uh, I looked at Andy Morell, Oscar Technology, obviously a sponsor of the podcast. He wrote an interesting piece on LinkedIn last week as well. He went down to London to say that he was struck by how busy it was. And he said that a uh, the percentage of fully remote roles that Oscar is briefed on has declined significantly by a larger amount over the uh, past few months. Now that is, that's really important because there's been this situation where it's been an employee-led market um, and a lot of people are going into job interviews and saying, I'm only going to work for you if I can work remotely five days a week. Andy Morella Oscar saying they're seeing less of that. I don't know if you're seeing less of that. Mm, I'm not sure. I think, uh, I think it's a long-running trend that's going to take a while to sort of play out. And how, it, how it's going to shake up retail in the city centre is interesting. I noticed there's a business called Atkinson's, which is a specialist coffee producer based in Lancaster originally. They've got a really, really nice unit at Mackie Mare, that um, artisan market just at the top of Manchester's northern quarter. And they're pulling out. You know, the guy said, it's a really difficult decision, but seometimes you just got to tactically withdraw. And that can only be coming about because it's not getting the footfall that they need and that costs are going up, so... Yeah. Well done for not swearing, Michael. Yes, I didn't. I managed to swear when we were mentioning... Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. We had a great response to our new section last week, which we called On Manoeuvres, which I think is a really good way of framing and offering insight about what politicians are up to, rather than just assuming that what they're saying is uh, uh, sort of sits in isolation. Um, and they're not always politicians that we're going to talk about in this section. But who do you want to start with in our on manoeuvre section this week, Chris? I don't want to go into detail about him, but I'm just going to mention him in passing. Conservative MP, or was a Conservative MP, Andrew Bridgen, oh. who said the Tory whip removed from him last week for spreading misinformation about vaccines and comparing the vaccine rollout to the Holocaust, which was quite frankly offensive. Um, I listened to an interview today from Matthew Side, and Matthew Side was making the point, very intelligent guy, said, actually, as an MP, he should be able to voice concerns you know, but you can't quote things as fact. You can't say, I spoke to a cardiologist and then start linking it to the Holocaust. Um, and, and then, you know, it's just dreadful, just dreadful. I mean, do you want to waste any more time on Andrew Bridgen? <laughs> I was just going to say, he said, well, I'm not going to give him the oxygen and publicity yeah. whilst giving him the oxygen yeah. and publicity. Yeah, I, I, just, I just felt like I say, I don't want to stop people at source by, you know, discussing controversial subjects, yeah. but there is a way of doing it. And I think Andrew Bridgen overstepped the mark this week. Now, I'm going to start with your friend, Boris Johnson. Now, um, I listen to the Spectators uh, podcast. You call it a right-wing th you know, think tank publication, but they've got a podcast called Coffee House Shots. I like it because it's short and sweet. Saturday's podcast was entitled Is Boris on Manoeuvre? So clearly they're fans of the Northern Spin podcast. Now, talk of Johnson's political comeback just won't go away. He's clearly doing nothing to quell those rumours. Um, Sean O'Grady compared the former Prime Minister to a scorpion and wrote in The Independent, I quote, just as he saved his party in 2019, he's helping to smash it in 2024. You just can't keep a bad man down. Sky reported that he would agree not to challenge Rishi Sunak in exchange for getting a safe seat in the next general election. He's the MP for Uxbridge, which has got a majority of 7,000, and the thinking is that that's not enough to stay in power. Um, a couple of interesting stories last week, because he had a picture unveiled at him in the Carlton Club in London, um, which is where it all came unravelling for him, because that's where Chris Pincher allegedly committed his misdemeanours as well. Um, but then Grant Shapps seemingly airbrushed a picture or photoshopped a picture, so they cut Boris Johnson out, which people have read in the fact that Boris Johnson's, you know, uh, uh, you know likelihood of getting back has just been pushed back again. Where do you sit with J Boris Johnson on manoeuvres? Well, you just can't trust him, can you? So he, you know, he's offering to Rishi Sunak to get a safer seat in return for behaving himself. People, people close to Boris Johnson, not you, Boris Johnson. 
Well, it's Boris Johnson, isn't it? Yeah. But you just absolutely wouldn't trust him with anything. And the other story over the weekend was the Sunday Times reporting his financial arrangements, his dependence on an £800,000 rolling credit facility by a cousin in Canada. He's also got substantial outgoings for ex-wives, mystery children, his high-maintenance wife, Carrie Antoinette. She's and, and I just think all of this is just flooring his judgment and for the decisions that he's making. He was meant to have been running the country during a pandemic and clearly his, his thoughts were on about the wallpaper in the number 10 flat. I, I do, I think he's, he's genuinely flawed. He should be absolutely nowhere near public life. And quite frankly, I'm looking forward to the inquiry into him. So a lot of this can uh, can properly come out because he doesn't like the scrutiny. You saw him in front of some of these um, these parliamentary committees where, where proper serious people like Yvette Cooper and Meg Hillier have given him a proper bit of scrutiny. We're going to be talking about that. The Privileges Committee are going to be looking at to whether he... Did he lie to Parliament? I mean, most people accept he misled Parliament. Did he lie to Parliament as well? There's a great quote I heard off a, a Conservative MP who said, you have friends for seasons and friends for reasons. And Boris Johnson was for the 2019 general election, but he's not a friend that you want to keep forever no, a day. By the way, you mentioned The Spectator and you were trying to, uh, try, trying to imply that I was throwing some shade at them. I bought the Spectator Christmas special and the New Statesman Christmas special, which I subscribe to, full disclosure. Yeah. I actually found the Spectator much better written. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, I used to subscribe to it when the Tories were in opposition because I was interested in kind of a, a new ideas that were coming from the centre-right uh, in the David Cameron, George Osborne era. And I was really interested in a, someone who wrote for them a lot at the time called Philip Blonde who had a whole theory about Red Tory, which was the early synthesis of the um, what became, sort of, I suppose, Red Wall Toryism. Um, so just, just to be absolutely clear, I, I, I think there's a lot about The Spectator that's good. There was a really good piece that their editor, Fraser Nelson, did about, you know, don't underestimate Keir Starmer and what he's achieved, which I thought was very fair and balanced. Well, I listened to Isabel Harbin last week. Oh, she's week. brilliant. She is brilliant. She yeah, is yeah. fantastic. And she was talking about, she's writing a book about the NHS, and it was just really, really informed, really insightful. Um, yeah, she's good. She's she wrote a book about um, she called it. Um, I was going to say the National Health Service. Yeah, but, but it was a, anyway the Natural Health Service. That yeah, was yeah. what the book was called. It's really good, and it quotes my friend Michael De Paula in it as well. Yeah. Now Isabel Hardman's a really, really good journalist, and um, and yeah, so. Let's not just say that I nail my colours to no. to centre left masks all Good. the time as you try to. Uh, <laughs> There's too much paranoia. There's too much paranoia going no, on here. Not um, but not uh, no, more than happy for you to uh, to come back on that one. Anyway, a couple of other names that I'd like to uh, file under on manoeuvres: Kim McGuinness. The Police and Crime Commissioner for the North East. I think she's a pretty good candidate for Metro Mayor for the North East to uh, potentially be a challenger to not make it at all home and dry for Jamie Driscoll, the North of Tyne Metro Mayor. I've also been reading Lisa Nandy's book. I don't think she's on manoeuvres, Chris, but she's certainly box office at the moment. And I've been invited this week to a Labour Party fundraiser at the Devi in Liverpool, scene of many a Scouse wedding on the 27th, where Lisa Nandy will be the star turn. So, you know, when you go to these fundraisers, and I'm just asking generally out of interest, do you have to give money to these? Is that the purpose of it? Or is it just your... There's plenty of people... No, it's, it's, it's like when the collection plate comes around at church. There's plenty of people look at their feet when the uh, yeah. when that happens. But um, but no, the people who get invited to it are often the you know prof people who work in professional services who've got a few quid. And they have an auction where people will, like, you know, will bid for signed football shirts or books and things like that yeah yeah you get back to the whole issue of funding again but i'm i'm you know i'm on board with that stuff because that's all transparent um i mean i spoke last week about the invisible shadow cabinet and um and i said it was important i think that some of those people who've uh, you know been in the shadows raise their profile a bit lisa nandy is definitely one of those who's a rising star um like you <clears throat> that's not to say she's on maneuvers but i think she's definitely um you can see her having a much higher profile as and when the labor party perform the next government i think kim mcginnis is a really good shout by you actually I, I hadn't heard of her if i'm being honest until you mentioned it on the whatsapp chat she's very prolific on twitter and instagram i think it's interesting she's only i think she's 37 i mention ages a lot because i think it's interesting how politicians use social media and um her, her website very much plays to her northeast roots. I read the uh, Newcastle Chronicle. They identified her as the biggest threat to the north of Tyne Mayor, Jamie Driscoll, becoming the Metro Mayor. 
if she's not already on manoeuvres, I think she's positioning herself because you could see how she would be quite an easy sell um, to be the next uh, to be the next Metro Mayor because that's on the back of this huge devolution deal in the North East as well. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a good chance she might be on manoeuvres. Great stuff. So we're going to go to an interval now and after which we're going to ask, ask is the M6 the UK's worst motorway? <laughs> Welcome back to the third and final part of this week's Northern Spin podcast, where Chris wants to talk about the M6 motorway, which I think might be just a, a bit of a filibuster, so I don't pin him down on some of his cultural choices and embarrass him about his music again this week. But uh, Chris, is this a legitimate discussion point, or are you just another embittered middle-aged driver? I am a middle-aged driver, and I'm probably embittered, but it's also a legitimate conversation. And the word filibuster, we must use that more often. <laughs> um, I should explain to our listeners that... Uh, now, Michael, I, I said, you know, you know, you're not going to unplug me, are you, if I start to descend into a rant? He said, no, it's not a rant. It's not a rant, because I've, I've done some research no, on No, I just said, come up with some evidence. Now, the M6 motorway is the UK's longest motorway. It runs for just over 230 miles from the Midlands to the border with Scotland. And my bit, that I, I often travel down to Birmingham from my house in the People's Republic of Chorley... I love the M6 north of Preston. So you go north Lancashire, Cumbria. It's a lovely road, lovely drive. The section of motorway from Junction 26, which is the uh, where where it meets the M58 uh, junction, to around Junction 13 in Staffordshire, has been the bane of my life for so many years. I, I can't even begin to mention. So, so I'm not going to unplug your microphone, but give us some of the evidence about what's been going on. Why, why is it such a nightmare? Because I, I, I take the M6 when I go and visit my family in Lancaster at weekends. And the only thing I've noticed about the M6 north of Preston is that somebody's written in yellow paint on some of the bridges around Garstang. Are you a middle lane moron? Move over, you moron. Yeah. <laughs> Which is absolutely, I think it's hilarious. Yeah, actually. absolutely. And, and I probably. Are you a middle lane moron? I'm not. And I probably agree with the sentiment, but I don't <laughs> flash people, incidentally. I don't flash people when they're in that middle lane. Bet you overtake um, on the inside, though, don't you? I, I go within the speed limit. And if, it, yeah, actually, uh, we'll move on because uh, I'll then start to sound like I am ranting. I, so, bet, you, I bet you don't. Uh, I, bet you do, week, I bet you do about 80. No, I don't, actually. I don't. Uh, I've got a reputation for being quite slow, um, but not in the middle lane. I, I want to talk about the M6. Uh, cool. Okay, so the so, so so this week I'll be driving down, doing a round trip to Derby, um, and there's the announcements that come over the uh, the M6 to say that between Junction um, 23 and Junction 26 this week, it's going to be closed northbound. Okay, thereby forcing me to make a detour, uh, probably down Junction 21, um, to go on the M62. Okay, now, you need to understand the background to this. This is Junction 21A to Junction 26, that's a 10-mile stretch of motorway. They're going, to, uh, they're going to be upgrading it to an all-lane running smart motorway. And a smart motorway is a different kettle of fish entirely. Motorists have to endure four years of speed reductions on the 18-mile uh, stretch of the motorway between Junction 13 for Stafford and Junction 15 for Stoke-on-Trent for the installation of a smart motorway. And for what? For what? I mean, where are we any better off? Um, I don't think so. And, 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 and what I did is I put it on social media and LinkedIn and I said, hey, what's your view on the M6? And you've looked at some of the responses. This isn't just me, is it, Michael? Yeah, to be fair, you did. You, you, you put it out there. Uh, I can't get excited about all of this, Chris, but, you know, keep going on. So Lee Petz says it just needs a pay and display machine fitting and then it can legitimately be called a car park. That's quite funny. Um, I think smart motorways are death traps, says Dr. Colleen Bass. And Sean Brown says, north of Stoke, best motorway in England. South of Stoke, I'd rather glue myself to the M25. Thank you, Sean Brown. All funny. Are these uh, friends of yours? No, I know Sean very well. Right. Um, I don't know Dr. Colleen uh, Bass. Anyway, don't matter. I, I, got, I got similar messages on Twitter from uh, Vicky Gregson, Sandy Lindsay, David Jones. The problem is, if there's an issue on a stretch of motorway where it's you've got traffic reduced or the speed reduced and it's three lanes, you are royally stuffed. Last Thursday afternoon, they closed two of the three lanes of the southbound around 
Junction 26, 27 for emergency repairs. It, it was one lane open. It caused massive, massive delays. Now, I wouldn't mind if I could actually see some tangible improvements. I can't. I fully accept, and it's important to make this caveat as well, that the safety of the people who work on the motorways, you know, repairing the motorways is paramount. It absolutely is paramount. I'm not suggesting they take any shortcuts on that. I'm just saying that. And, and drainage is hugely important. You can't have a situation, given all the rain we're having recently, where you've got huge surface water issue on motorways any more than we've already got. But you look at the M6, it is like a patchwork quilt of repairs. It must be the worst motorway, you know, in Britain. And, and I'll go as far to say this, is that I go down to my brother sometimes, he lives north of London, and you drive down the M1 and you drive down other roads down there. You know, they don't have roads like this. They don't have these constant closures. Their road surfaces aren't as bad as ours. And all we do is we accept it. We just say, oh, they're doing road repairs. You know, this M6, it's been going on for too long. It's an absolute disgrace. We are getting the thin end of the wedge and I'm ranting. Very good. Well, it's nice to see a bit of fire, isn't it, people? <laughs> imagine, imagine what it'd be like if it was actually about something really important. Okay. Anyway, anyway, a bit more culture for you, Chris. We're trying to make you a little bit more northern. You're a, a, a refugee from the southeast of England, living in the northwest, raising your family here, and your your kind of cultural reference points are improving. So you've been watching Happy Valley. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, I watched a film over the weekend called The Banshees of Inner Sherin, which has been heavily awarded in the uh, in the award season. BAFTAs, there could be Oscars coming to it. It's got Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson in there. And frankly, Chris, you're very lucky that given your behaviour last week, that I didn't take the approach of Brendan Gleeson's character in this wonderful film and, uh, and offer to completely end it. <laughs> anyway, so I do love Happy Valley as well, which I am looking forward to watching the third episode on On Demand this evening, uh, Monday night, because obviously my radio programme, Music Therapy, on Tameside Radio goes out at nine o'clock on Sunday evenings, clashing with that, which, which is why not many people listen uh, watch Happy Valley yeah, in, um, in Tameside because they're yeah. listening to our show. One of our listeners, by the way, said our radio show was the best we've ever done, which I was really chuffed about. And we played a cracking new band from Manchester called Aflex Palace and their song, Wide Eyes on the Night Bus. Have you ever been on a night bus? No, but we want your friends to be talking about the Northern Spring podcast and saying that's the best podcast ever. Yeah, they do say that as well, actually. Okay. Um, anyway, on the cultural references, Chris, uh, going back, I recommended to you, didn't I, Sherwood, which yeah, you enjoyed? Liked it, liked it. Our friends in the North? Yeah, lo loved it. Right, so my friend Adam Mitchison wondered whether you were familiar with Alf Wiedersehen Pet. Yeah, um, I mean, I know Adam uh, from My2B, which is his business. I am aware of Alf Wiedersehen Pet. I watched a little bit of it. I actually thought Jimmy Nail was a good singer. I got his CD. You mentioned I don't like music. I really liked his song, Crocodile Shoes. Okay. Now, I know that puts me in a minority of about one. Um, I did watch a brilliant series um, on ITV called Stonehouse, which is uh, starred husband and wife, team Matthew McFadden and Keely Hawes. Oh, I love them. They, they were in Spooks. They were in Spooks. That's which where is one, they, of my one of my favourites, actually, Spooks. That's where they met, actually. Uh, they've yeah. been married since 2004. I know this sort of stuff. It plots the life of disgraced Labour minister John Stonehouse in the 1970s who faked his own death. I'm not, no spoiler alert there. I'm not giving anything else away it's only three parts um we talk about politicians we talk about the need for transparency but you know you go back to the 1970s and john stonehouse was was a wrong one. um <laughs> a brilliant brilliant uh, program really enjoyed that one i you mentioned films i will i will keep an eye on that one that you mentioned the uh, banshees of inner sharon with your uh, with your very good impression actually of brendan gleason but i watched one at the cinema i don't go as much as i'd like a man called otto starring tom hanks now if you've not seen it I really recommend it. It was the first ever film I've watched where, you know, the credits come at the beginning and it says themes of suicide in. Uh, I watched it with my two... Uh, oh, like a warning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And it's, it's, it's a reoccurring theme. I mean, once again, no, no spoiler alert, you know, he, um, he's dealing with the loss of his wife and um, he, um, he tries to kill himself. Um, you know, and that makes it sound like a really morose sort of subject matter for a film. The opposite. It's just a... Brilliant, brilliant film. And can you remember a bad Tom Hanks film? No, I can't. No, he's always good. Yeah. I, 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 like, I like Forrest Gump. I liked Apollo 13. Um, yeah, Captain Phil Phillips. I mean, Philadelphia was was one of his best ever films. Philadelphia, um, yeah. You know, I mean, Forrest big, Gump. Big, I didn't Forrest, like big. No, I mean, the one that I thought wasn't his best was Polar Express. But to be fair, he was an animation and that. He was more of a voice, but he looked like him as well. Interesting fact, actually, Tom Hanks' son... Stars of the young Tom Hanks in 
this film, uh, a man called Otto, and was very, very good. Right. So we're going to be recording a bonus episode of the Northern Spin podcast on the 19th of January at the Better Business Summit that's being held at Manchester Metropolitan University. We'll have a few guests, you know, different people who are going to be speaking at the event, going to be dropping in for a bit of a chat with us. The whole theme of the event is that business can be done in a different way. I think it's something that's reasonably close to politics and business, the things that are that usually... Um, that we think about and talk about. So I think it's a good opportunity to think about how business can work with uh, with politicians to address things like the climate emergency, cost of living, stuff like that. I think it's important that we get out and about with uh, the Northern Spring podcast and, and meet people and understand what their views are as well, as well as, as well as growing our audience. Yeah, good. So that's pretty much it for the seventh episode of season two of the Northern Spring podcast. We're also on Apple Podcasts, so please review us. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify or whatever, wherever you watch or listen to our podcast. Put us some comments on the YouTube channel. I was alarmed to discover how many people watch us on YouTube. Um, and last week, Chris, you said that we raced up the Apple charts and that we overtook something called the Milk the Cow podcast, which you were very animated by. Yeah, I was. I mean, yeah. What, what's I mean, the significance of that? It sort of passed me by a bit. Well, I just like the name, uh, okay. a podcast called Milk the Cow. I thought it would be a, a podcast for farmers about milking cows, but um, in, in fairness, I think Milk the Cow might have moved back above us. Um, don't know if you saw what I did then, but um, but yeah, it's there's so many podcasts out there, and what what really helps is getting people to subscribe to our podcast and also getting people to comment. I mean, we've had uh, some really good reviews. I think our average rating is four point nine stars as well. So if you can spread the word, get as many people talking about uh, Northern Spin in a positive light, and then we can like uh, move above Milk the Cow podcast again this week. Yep, so follow us on Twitter as well at Northern underscore Spin One. Watch us on YouTube. Thank you as ever to what media in particular sam picton which is his last show producing us our sponsors as well oscar technology and of course lily shippen now and of course to elliot taylor for providing the music i'm michael taylor and i'm chris mcguire